This is the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our mission is to connect people to the outdoors, to each other, and to themselves. I'm your host, Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. And I'm Ben Brandell, your fellow adventurer and outdoor expert. We're here to tell stories, share our experiences, and be your friends as we seek to deepen our relationship with God the Creator. Every episode, we'll share stories and practical tips to enhance your outdoor experiences, whether it's hiking, hunting, fishing, or simply finding a quiet spot to listen to God. We've got you covered. So whether you're a seasoned outdoorsman or just getting started, the Men to Be Outdoors podcast is here to help you be more confident and confident. Subscribe now and let's make every outdoor moment count. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm Brian, this is Ben, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about, well, cold. We're calling it surviving the chill. We have had record cold temperatures across a lot of the U.S. recently, and we're going to be talking about really all the aspects of outdoorsmanship that that affects. But before we get into all the discussion, we need to give thanks. Yeah, my thanks is for being connected, people. It really is people that, um, whether you the listener, whether it be family, um, friendship, even the people that comment and leave comments, you know, on our uh, YouTube page, whether it be positive or negative in any of those relationships and connections, I'm just thankful for them. That is the point of this life, um, both positive and negative, and, and I am thankful for that. I'm, I'm grateful for it. It is why we do what we do. And so to all those that are connected to us, thank you. And uh, we couldn't do what we're doing without everyone. So yeah, several moons ago, when social media really first hit the scene when we were in college, I think that uh, that's why what you're talking about is why it was so successful. Like it really centered in on connection and relationships. And that's why we've seen it blow up into what it is today. And really, if you look at a lot of our technologies, and the things that are successful, it's all about connecting people to, to people. And it meant to be outdoors. We want to connect people to the outdoors and to each other through through the outdoors and those relationships. So it is something we're passionate about. But right. you can see that a lot of things that are successful is because of exactly what you're giving thanks for. Connection. Yeah. I mean, uh, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, when Paul is writing his letters, I mean, he is writing to his friends. Yeah. And and. He's got friends with him, but, I mean, as you listen to how, how he is talking in his letter to those people, I mean, it is it is a connection, and he craves, he wants to return. He wants to go back. He wants to be a part of that connection again. When he can't, he says his friend. He yeah. says Timothy. Yeah. yeah, and so it just happens every single day, uh, especially when we get out of our houses to get outside and we connect more with people. Um, there are relationships to be made. But when it's cold and you can't get out, what I'm thankful for is a dry stack of firewood. Because to be able to light a fire and have that warmth, I could sit by a hot fire in a fireplace mm-hmm. or a wood yeah. stove. Yeah. I could sit by it for 10 hours on end, like just sit there and read or or nap or look at your phone, have a hot, hot cup of coffee. Like there is something about a warm fire, especially when it's like in your house. Yeah. Because it's like you have your warm, safe shelter already, and then you get to enhance it with the ambiance and the heat from a fire. Man, it feels good. But to take that a little further, I'm thankful to be a human that can utilize fire. Think about all these animals that are out there that can't utilize it. The deer that have to just 
sleep in a, some grass somewhere underneath the shade of a tree. Like to have, to have fire, we get to like manipulate and dictate where is warm and to make all of the stuff that we have today just because of fire. I love that. Yeah, and to have that heat, that heat source. You know, ironically, today while we're recording, it isn't as cold as it has been. No. When we when we were outside earlier today, it almost felt like spring, but it's it's all because it felt warmer. Yep. Just a little bit of uh, more warmth than we've had. So yeah, it's it's been so cold that I don't remember if it was yesterday or the day before. I had on a, a sweatshirt and a vest, and I was outside, and I was like, "Man, I'm I'm really comfortable. I'm I'm quite comfortable." And I looked down, I was like, 34, well, that, that isn't really warm. But compared to the negative 10 exactly. that we've yeah. been having, mm-hmm. it is, I mean, you're talking 40 plus degrees difference. It is much warmer. So I guess it's all relative. Warmth is, is all, all relative to what you've been experiencing. Yeah, and that, and, and that is kind of what we're talking about today is how your body, um, I don't know if it's climatizes or acclimates, which is the correct word there, but our bodies adapt, we'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, as we're exposed to the different elements. And the longer we're in them, when we come out of them, we see it, we feel it, we know it. And right. I think that that gives, well, just how cool is our body, yeah. you know? Uh, the Creator makes us in a way that we can live in those climates um, as long as we take precautions and, and protect ourselves. Right. And we'll yeah. talk about some of that today. Uh, you know, we, we are talking about this because across really a lot of the U.S., like record, record cold, and, and I'm talking... In the negatives, and, and we usually have a few days every year here in southern Missouri where we live where it does get below zero. Uh, but if you look off into like Tennessee and I think even some of the north part of some of those other southern states that they've had a lot more snow than we've had, like eight, nine inches of snow. Uh, we have just had minimal amounts, minimal amounts of, of freezing precipitation, but we have had some some ice and maybe an inch of snow here or there. But they've had the cold with the snow in, in areas that it's – I don't want to say it's not normal, but it is. Uh, uh, they don't get it very often, like it, maybe once or twice a year and not eight or nine inches. Um, so this year has been really cold and affected a lot of people, but that really, really affects outdoorsmen. Like if you are somebody that likes to spend time outdoors or you have to spend time outdoors because of, because of your job, then uh, – this is really, really hard on on you, and we want to talk about some of those things and just kind of make everybody aware and ways to stay safe and, and enjoy it more. Uh, we're also going to talk about how it affects wildlife. Mm-hmm. I, I love habitat. I love wildlife habitat. Um, I love I love restoring that habitat, and, and that's something I want to touch on today about how important that habitat is during conditions like this. That's when it's really amplified in areas that our habitat isn't in good shape. Yeah, how does the winter chill impact us and, honestly, everything around us? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it affects people drastically, Ben, and I think we'll, ha- we'll have some time for you to really talk about that survival aspect of, okay, it is affecting us, so what can we do? How can we dress? What are some precautions to take to stay safe, and what yeah. are things we can do that we can still enjoy it? Absolutely. Um, you know, I want to talk about wildlife first because I made the outline of, it's my favorite part of this. Yeah, wildlife. Let's, let's break it I down. I love man. wildlife. You, you know, life is hard for wildlife, period. But when you get extreme conditions, whether it's extreme heat and extreme drought or extreme cold, obviously, doesn't it, it kind of goes without saying that is amplified for them. But I do get asked, 
people usually ask me about whatever their animal of interest is. If they really like squirrels, they say, well, what do the squirrels do during this? Most of the time it's deer or turkey or, you know, some of these game species that people really focus on. What are deer doing? What happens to them? Are they okay out there? Um, And the answer is yes, they're okay, but it is really hard on them and it will actually affect them for the rest of the year. And the less we do to put good habitat in place, the more it will affect them. If there's bad habitat and they have to go through these extreme conditions, it's going to affect them. Uh, You may have a buck that was 140 inches this year as a three-year-old, and you decided to pass it this year so that it could put on another 25% in its antler inches. But if you don't have good habitat and it goes through an extremely tough winter, it may only put on 10% in antler growth this year because of those extreme conditions and not good habitat to uh, sustain it. Yeah, you know, that... I picture myself trying to live off the land in these environments. How brutal. I mean, think about those days we've had and and wind chills of down to the negatives. What did we get to? What was some of the coldest we had? We were negative. Uh, Yeah, I think the wind chills were like around negative 20, I want to say. Yeah, and and to have to be out there, you know, think about how you feel when you get a break from that, when you come back in from that. How do you feel – those the wildlife don't experience that. I mean, it's a constant state of survival. It's a constant state of I have to have food, shelter, water. Right. I've got to go find those. They don't have that dry stack of firewood. No, they don't. <laughs> and so it would be really difficult to live in the Ozarks because you've been speaking about habitat. If you don't have a good habitat, then you're going to struggle. Well, guess what? Most places don't. They don't. So right. they're struggling. So they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And you have to think about how much more that, you know, the cold is one thing, but when you put the winter, the freezing precipitation on top of that, so places that, I mean, there are places in the northern range of a whitetail's habitat that they have feet of snow. So most of their food source, most of their world is covered up. But even here in the Ozarks or, or Tennessee where they've just got a bunch of snow, most of what a deer eats is in that three foot to the ground range. Right. Well, so much of that gets covered up. All the acorns that are on the ground that have fallen this year are, are covered up with just a few inches of snow. And can, can deer paw and dig through and find? Yes, but now they're exerting more energy to find those carbohydrate resources because they're under the snow and they may not be able to find as much because they're covered up. And that's why it's so important when you are managing habitat for wildlife, whether it's deer, turkey, quail, uh, whatever it is that you are making sure that you have food sources at all levels. So you have ground source food sources, you have, you know, six inches, 12 inches, three, and then even standing corn, especially when you get into those northern climates where the snow can get really deep. Farmers that care about their wildlife will leave standing corn so that deer can come through at at head height, or sometimes they'll even stand on their hind legs to be able to reach some of those food sources that are above the snow. But it is a tough world out there. Um, and but managing for it, planning ahead, is really useful if 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 you care about your wildlife. So you said acorns, okay? A corn. I'm going acorns. Yeah, your acorns is how you shared that. <laughs> how do you manage? Uh, you know, a lot of people think, well, oak trees that's in the wild. Yeah. Um, is that even manageable? Is that something that that we can manage to help the deer? Yeah. The acorns. Re- res- research has shown that if you uh, do timber stand improvement and manage the spacing, uh, the, there, every foot, um, 
every more foot of space that an oak tree has to grow, it will not only produce more acorns, but it, you won't have as many of those uh, dry years, those years that they don't produce anything. Will they still come? Yeah, sure. But making sure that these oak trees have space and they're not being overcompeted by other species, but also by other oak trees. So if you if you have a, a 75-year-old oak tree and then five 20-year-old oak trees within its canopy trying to grow up underneath it, they are competing for these same resources, trying to use the same resources to grow acorns. Yeah. And so cut all the young ones down and let these big ones grow and leave 20, 30, 40 feet, kind of go for more of this savanna-type habitat. If you read back some of the Daniel Boone journals, Lewis and Clark, some of these old journals that are recorded, when they're passing through the area that we're in now or, or a lot of the mid, mid-south, mid-west, all of those, those areas, you're talking about, yes, it was hardwoods and pines, but they're spaced out 100 to 200 feet, and they're, and they're calling this savanna. So what's in between all that is ground cover and ground food because sunlight is hitting the ground, so everything is growing from the ground up to four or five feet instead of having everything up above a deer's head. You know, here in the Ozarks, it's even more difficult than deer that just have to battle snow. So, because you were talking about feet of snow, mm-hmm. and that would be tough. I mean, they're, they're going to paw, deer. they're going to dig. We keep saying deer, but it isn't yeah. just deer. It, it's all wildlife. Right, all wildlife. But just kind of thinking through the one animal for a moment, the deer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last week we didn't have snow. We had sleet, and we also had, actually we had some hail. Uh, we'll call it sleet, but it was a thunderstorm that came through before the cold temps and dropped you know, pea size, BB size hail. Matter yeah. of fact, that is still. I still have piles of it around my house. Right. Yeah. But then it moved into. Then we got some snow, and then it moved into freezing rain. And a couple of days ago, we had ice over everything. Yeah. There's no animal that's going to be able to, you know, in snow they're going to be able to remove some of that snow. They're going to smell through it, find some food sources at some point. But when they're going through that snow and hitting an ice layer. There ain't nothing to do. I mean, it's it's difficult for us just to walk walk around on it. Think about the wildlife that are out there, not only walking but well. You bring to... up a good point for wildlife too. Like you you say, it's hard for us to walk. As humans, our number one frustration with winter precipitation is we can't travel. It becomes unsafe. Yeah. When we have ice like we get here, it seems like at least once a year. I mean, we can remember as kids just weeks and weeks and weeks without power and water because right. of ice. Yes. We now prepare for that now. Anytime that we start to see ice on limbs or power lines, we're like, it is the most dangerous. It is so dangerous. Yeah, is it, it isn't. It isn't like hey, with snow, hey, you should probably take some precautions. If you don't have to go out, don't. With ice, you cannot. Like, right. you can't go. You can't stop. You can't drive on on this ice. And the same thing happens for wildlife of all species. It becomes more difficult. Even birds that can fly around. Mm-hmm. Well, when they get on the ground and they have to hop around, uh, think of a, a ground-feeding species like uh, a dark-eyed junco or a morning dove. When they get on the ground, how are they supposed to walk around and, and forage and find their food? It's very difficult for them. So it's so important to have all aspects that wildlife need, which is food, cover, and water, quality and close together. Because if, if you own a piece of property and your cover is on one end, and then 40 acres later is your food. Well, wildlife during this winter time is going to have a really hard time covering that gap, and the amount of energy and resources that they have to use to get there 
isn't even going to be worth the reward at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, so, if, I, if I was a, a, a wild animal, <laughs> if I was, I would prefer ah. to be an animal that hibernates or torpors. You're talking about like back before you got married, Dave. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. no longer. <laughs> Your wife I. has tamed you down. She has, and bless her soul. So thankful for that. Um, I would prefer to be one that the hibernates or torpors because um, to have to just bear it, to get through it, um, that, that would be awful. You, don't really I, you know, that's kind of what some humans do. They kind of just go into a torpor. You don't see them very often. If you've got some of those neighbors that winter hits and you don't see them again till spring. Well, that's kind of a whole subdivision, I think. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll see their vehicle go by, but it's rare. And then yeah. spring comes and they're walking by every day. You, yes, you they're talk out, to them three walking, or four times a week. The dog. Yeah. 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 Humans kind of do that same, that same thing. You know, we were out the other day, um, and it was cold. I think it was in the 20s, but it wasn't the extreme, extreme cold. I think it was one or two days after that, that week-long stretch of extreme cold that we had. We weren't seeing, we covered, what did we hike, about seven and a half miles or yeah, something? Seven, yep. We we saw some deer at the very beginning of our hike, uh, which, again, you're going to get a lot more wildlife movement during the day because the solar, they need that solar The radiation. sun was out on the sun day. was out. Yep. Um, so we were, like, looking, like, man, we're not even seeing squirrels. There's not a lot of birds. And well, finally, we were walking down the trail, and I heard something, and I stopped us. It was an armadillo. And you made the comment like, of all the wildlife that's out here that we could see, we get to see an armadillo today. Like, right. cool, right? Uh, but we got to stop and think, you know what? That's an animal that does torpor. Right. And it isn't even that warm today. But this this armadillo was out foraging. It was out digging, looking around um, for insects and food. Uh, and And that's kind of what you're talking about, like, doesn't have to be out in it because it has the ability to torpor. And, and that's God created that for animals that, that truly need that because look, look at an armadillo. Does an armadillo have a bunch of fat and thick fur that it can utilize to stay warm? No, but they can go underground, burrow down, stay away from all that, and then they have the sense and the ability to come out when it's okay to come out. Right. Um, and, and that's kind of what you're talking about with, if you were an animal, I want to torpor. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause if I was a, let's say a species, let's say fish, a largemouth bass in our lakes, they are going to be the same temperature as the water Yeah, and yep. their whole life slows down. They slow down. You know, I think a lot of people, not a lot, but there are people that still are going to go throw crankbaits <laughs> on a day like today where, uh, we, we have frozen sections of our coves and stuff. Um, those fish aren't ready to react. And matter of fact, if you were to go under the water, the fish they're trying to eat, they're not ripping through and going crazy either. It is all calm. It is slow. It is a, uh, a real, uh, yeah, a really kind of boring place. I think at this time of year, you know, I, I've always kind of, you, you talk about winter fishing, which yeah. Here we go talking fishing. That's not even, <laughs> I know I had to bring leave it, it to Ben and Brian to talk fishing. <laughs> I've got to go soon. We haven't even caught a bass in 2024. Something's wrong. We need to go with this warm-up that we have here. Uh, but when you catch a winter bass, mm-hmm. they're fat. They're fat. So they they are still feeding. They're, they are still active enough to food. be feeding. Yep. But you always, hurt, hurt, you always hear kind of this uh, when you're targeting bass in the winter, like slow down, make sure everything's slow. And I, I have found that to be effective. But I have also had really, really good crankbait days in the winter 
making them maybe maybe it is forcing them to react because they are so slow, but they do still have to eat. They aren't just sitting around. Um, so I, I don't know that uh, I've never got to go down there in the winter and, and see exactly what they're doing. Um, but I don't. I, I kind of question that. Uh, oh, I, that idea that maybe they are as lethargic as we say they are, believe they are. And yeah. I, I wonder if forward-facing sonar is can't really uh, shine some light on that because if you look at some of these tactics that people are going out and doing, they're calling them wolf packs. Well, wolf pack is always roaming, going around. So I'm I'm thinking that maybe yes, you can find schools of fish that aren't moving as much, but I think a lot of these bigger fish are actually going around trying to get as much food as possible during this time. Of year. Well, I think they are, and I think they're able. When you said fish are still fat. They are because they're still getting food, and it's because their food has slowed down as well. Yeah. You're not having these crazy the crazy movements under the water at this time of year. Like you, you and I, when we go fish spring tournaments, when that water temp uh, hits 55 degrees, we bust out what's called the wiggle wart or, or the rock crawler, um, and it's still tough. But right. but uh, right now when our waters are, and, and, are frozen. And the fish are seeking that same temperature, that 55 to 60, that's just... 20, 30, 40 feet down, especially here yeah. in the Highland Reservoir. And, and so, well, at this time of year, um, I'm not saying quit reaction baits, uh, you know, even lipless, uh, those all kinds, but uh, mm-hmm. not stopping reaction baits. However, if you fished a crankbait in the wintertime like you do in the summer months, I just don't feel you're going to be as productive. It isn't going to be as beneficial. Yeah, you may have to, to fish it slower. Yep. Um, and everybody's got their own style of fishing Absolutely. too, of Absolutely. course. Don't know how we got on fishing, but of course we did. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to talking about that. Is an about, animal that lives within this. It is wildlife. Exactly. It is wildlife. Yeah, it it is. does affect them. Uh, my son asked me the other day when we were out on the frozen pond, "Are the fish still under here, Dad?" <laughs> he said, <laughs> "Yeah, they are." And he kind of shook his head, like, like just scratched his head, like, "How? What are they doing down there?" Um, I've been out on ponds before where you could actually look through the clear ice and, and see snapping turtles under there. And just, just again, for me, a testament to our creator and, and no stone left unturned. He thought of everything. He yeah. thought of it all. And and I love that. That's part of the reason I became a biologist because of some of the phenomenons you see that we don't even think about. Oh, yeah, what happens to a turtle when it's in a frozen pond? But he definitely thought about that. He didn't forget. Yeah, the actual reason why the fish came up is because – you had reminded me on our hike that we had come across that armadillo. And the color of that armadillo was different than mm. what it normally looks like um, through the rest of the year when it's warmer. And that was that got me thinking about uh, bass, that these bass don't have They're pale, those rich yeah. colors. They're very pale, which leads me to even you and I, uh, since we've started video podcasting, uh, we'll watch ourselves on video. That's the lighting. That's no, the lighting. no, we are pale. <laughs> no, it's the lighting. We are not out in the sun as much um, because these winter months do draw us indoors. We are indoors more um, due to cold weather. Most humans, like you said, seek shelter and and stay inside more often. Yeah, you know? I didn't get to go to Jamaica this year. That's true. <laughs> I didn't get my winter basically. That's right. Did not. Um, you know, there. there's one question that, that people do ask me as a biologist uh, this time about wildlife. When it's cold like this, do animals die? That's what they ask. They want to know, like, is it so, like, is it just hard on them? They want to feel a little bit bad? Or is it so bad that they die? And unfortunately, the answer is yes. Some some will die. 
I have known of people to come up and find a frozen deer, literally laid, curled up like it was sleeping, trying to stay warm. Um, and they, they do a lot of amazing things to stay warm. You see birds fluff out their feathers. Deer look like their fur is extra fluffy, but they're actually, they're actually constricting their hair follicles, having their, their hair stick out so it's holding more body heat in. They're putting fat layers on throughout the year, preparing for winter. So God has created them all wildlife to do some amazing things, but it can be so harsh and man can ruin the environment so much that the habitat can't provide them what they need. So yes, harsh winters do kill some animals. Yeah, they I do. Mean, they die all year round. Just yes, to be clear, it's hard. All, they die all year round. <laughs> but in the winter months, the cause of death can be the cold. Yeah, and but it even impacts them. I think when you say death, yeah, they may die through the winter time because of the conditions. However, it may be setting them up for failure for even the spring. So if they're not getting everything they need in the spring, when spring comes here, they may be dying then due to what they experience right. through the winter. Well, and like a, a doe will abort. There'll be fawns aborted. Right. Uh, naturally aborted because of like it's kind of this okay I don't have what I need I can't provide this fetus what it needs and the body will naturally abort that pregnancy so that 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 doe has a chance to survive so harsh winters have been proven to have uh, the following spring will have less fawns than than had the winter been mild it it does happen for sure and I'm, I'm sure that goes for for all species that that reproduce throughout the winter but we are humans. We do have dominion. So is there anything that we can do, Ben, to help these wildlife? Well, you talked about habitat earlier. Yeah. That's definitely one. Um, what needs to be said about that, though, is that you can't do anything about it right now. You you have to either be planning to work on your habitat yeah. this coming growing season, or you have to have already been doing it in past growing right. seasons. There's nothing you can really go out and do right now at this moment to your habitat that are going to help the wildlife now. But I think we can move into looking within habitat as a food. Yeah. So there's food within habitat. Okay. And so that is something that we can do now, right now when it is cold, is provide food sources for some of these wildlife. Right. So you got to think food, water, shelter. Think about if you own a property, are there water sources that are open during this time of year? Are, are all of the ponds frozen? Does it have a creek going through it in springs that are still bubbling? If they are, that, that's fine. The, mm-hmm. the deer will find those. The turkey will find those. All of the wildlife will find those. Um, if not, maybe think about providing supplemental or if you have water sources that are frozen, break them. Break them open and, and keep them open just like you would for domestic animals. And I promise you, put a, put a trail camera on it, if you break a pond, in the area that has wildlife, break the ice, you will get wildlife coming to it and using it. This is actually, and most farmers aren't complaining, but if they were to complain, this is the time of year when, they, when they're when they going to want to complain because yeah. you have to break ice every day. You have to be busting every single day, sometimes multiple times, mm-hmm. morning and evening. Um, so, But in doing so, for your livestock, for your farm animals, I'll yep. also just say that, uh, you're also helping the wildlife as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, something I definitely want to touch on before we move on to how all this cold really affects people is this time of year, people love to go buy bags of corn and throw it out for the wildlife. Raccoons, squirrels, uh, Well, turkeys. I buy bird seed. I put bird seed out this time of year. Well, bird seed's great. Bird right. seed is, a, is an awesome thing, but that's for the, the birds and, and the squirrels and the raccoons. But if you go throw 
whole kernel of corn or cracked corn mm-hmm. in a deer feeder or just throw it out on the ground, the sentiment is great. People think they are helping, but unfortunately, you will actually kill the deer. It's actually worse for them to not have it. Deer are uh, ruminants, so they rely on bacteria cultures in their gut to digest their food. And this time of year, um, that bacteria, those bacteria cultures have focused more on proteins and hardwoods, and so there isn't these bacteria that break down carbohydrates. So if you throw out this super-rich, straight-carbohydrate meal and corn, that deer cannot digest it. They will literally walk three, four, five hundred yards away and lay down and rot from the inside out, and you'll find them dead with a, with a stomach, with a rumen full of corn. Now, if you've been feeding corn all year and you never take it away, that's fine. You can feed through the winter. That's why habitat is so important. Maybe you had hinge cutting or uh, you've got a food food plot established that's a, above the snow. Doing those types of things before the winter hits is really, really important for wildlife. You mentioned bird feeders. I love bird feeders. I have bird feeders out. For me as a kid, when it snowed, my family always had bird feeders. And there were more birds, more species, and more quantity of those species at the bird feeder during the snow than any other time. And I would sit there at that bay window with a bird book and binoculars. And I would identify every single bird species there were. Sometimes I would even name some of the, if there was a particular cardinal that had a unique mark or something, I would name them and go check and make sure they were there every day. And it is just a great way for your family, your kids and yourself to interact with wildlife, but at the same time help them. Obviously they need it if during the snow they're really coming because their food sources are are covered up. Let me ask you this, do birds, in the wintertime, change colors versus when they're out in spring or summer? So a lot of times they'll be more vibrant in the mm-hmm. spring. Birds will usually, uh, they will usually molt in the fall. So their feathers in the winter are either still growing or they're very new um, and they may not be as vibrant. But usually by the time spring gets here, all the males that do have vibrant colors are like full grown, full grown feathers, ready to show out and get that female. So if you see a red, car- will you see a red cardinal? Um, cardinals are usually red and on the male side. Uh, would you see one of those in the wintertime? Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you can still you can still differentiate differentiate by colors, the, the males and females. And that's what's species. so fun to do when you said sit down and watch those birds with the kids is to show them that, talk yeah. about that. It is, it is really fun. All right, I think that's probably enough about animals. I, maybe we should have just done a wildlife podcast because I could talk about that all day. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot to be shared. And, and this time of year with wildlife, you know, when we went out hiking, you and I were looking for any animals we can see. And be honest with you, the I was shocked um, when we got back. Uh, we actually put up a video of a, of a hawk um, partaking in oh, a meal yeah, he, on he an opossum. Meal. I was uh, on the way back, but... Uh, now I'm seeing the turkey vultures and black vultures out feeding on on some of that roadkill as well. But it took them a while. It took them a while. The food was frozen. <laughs> you know, like if it's frozen food, they're probably not going to eat it. So as it got a, a warm enough um, to thaw out, then I began to see some more wildlife coming out to feed. So um, I guess the thing to wrap up on the wildlife side, maybe share is what are most of the wildlife in the Ozarks in these bitter temperatures, what are most of them truly doing? in the day um, when it's just brutal outside. What are they really doing? 
Well, during the day when it's when it's brutal outside, they, that is when they're going to get up and try to find food because, again, they have the solar energy that to help keep them warm. The nights are just so, so brutal on them. They're really trying to find quality cover, which, again, for wildlife is from the ground up to four or five feet. We don't hang our sheets above our beds. We want them down here on us. So mm-hmm. talking about cedar trees and some of those low shrubby things that, that I've, I've people are People tend to call wildlife habitat that isn't wildlife habitat. They're going to be trying to find thick native grasses and things that are on the ground so that they can still get solar radiation, but they have uh, not only wind cover but thermal cover as well. And that's what they're really doing during the night, and they're getting up during the day. Got to get some calories in. Good. Now I want to move from the the animals that live outdoors to the indoors well, before more, we talk. More important than animals are people. It, it is people, yeah. and, and I do want to talk about people individually as humans and what we need but but transitioning from the animals outside to the indoors you know if you are an animal owner a, you know it's domesticated animal um, I think it's important to understand that we are not only stewards of the wildlife but what we take responsibility of yeah and I am not a huge animal owner so I mean, we have a dog we now have guinea pigs. <laughs> Those are um, in your house, though. Yeah, they are. But, at, at, you know, the animals that are in your home, you have to start to be – we have to think about how am I supposed to be taking care of them. You know, as an animal owner, growing up, we had outside animals. Yeah. And during these winter months, it is our responsibility to take care of them. If they have been outside and you're providing them even warmer conditions through these winter months, even though they're still outside – I'm I'm okay with it. It's mm-hmm. it's how it should be. We should be taking care of them. But the moment that you start bringing your animals into your house with you, you you do have to take care of them. You know, I'm an outdoorsman. I've always been in the mindset of an animal belongs outside, you know, and once it's outside, it'll take care of itself. But during these harsh harsh times, we must as stewards as the people that have the dominion over them, we should be taking care of them. And so when you're letting your animals go out into the snow, into the ice, we should be taking care of their feet. We should be minimizing how long they're out there, just like we do with our children. And it's hard for me to say because I'm the the outdoorsman's like, just kick the kick them animals outside and let them do what they're going to do. But um, because we've domesticated them, because we've brought them in for so long, um, some of these animals won't make it if we were just to say, you know what, you need to be outside right now during these cold months. So make for sure that you're taking care of your indoor animals as well and, and letting them go outside. They need to be out there, but um, making sure you're protecting their feet, uh, make sure you're protecting um, how long that they're out there. So, Yeah, once you, once you take responsibility of anything, whether it's a, a new toaster, that I mean, whatever it is, once you take responsibility for it, I do think that in my view, in my opinion, everything that we have is of God and is given to us because of him that we should take care of it. I try to teach my kids that. Like, uh, I'm trying to think what, oh, my, my youngest got a new monster truck for Christmas this year. And yeah, it's a monster truck. It, it's rugged and it's tough and it, we drive it into things and jump it off of things. But he just went up to the other day and gave it a good kick. Mm-hmm. Well, that, yeah, it's just a monster truck. But that isn't how we take care of our things. And then once you talk about something that actually has life, like an animal that you took responsibility for, then you better take care of it and respect it even even more than you would a monster truck. But it, it starts with 
inanimate things and, mm-hmm. and, and works its way up. So it as parents, we can instill that in our kids with, with simple little message about things like toys that don't really matter, but because it is of God and it is a blessing, we, we should care for it. Yeah, and I think you're going to identify that if, if, when you're a, a human being that cares for that creation. Uh, you know, my dad was telling me uh, when we had that ice and that layer of snow down that it's an inside dog, and when he would let him out, um, which has to be on a leash, and he'd go take him a walk, that he would kind of dance and hop on different feet because yeah. the bottom of his feet were not conditioned for those temperatures outside. Right. And so I never thought of this. I know they sell them now, people. Dog shoes. But the, Yeah, dog shoes, but he, <laughs> he isn't going to buy dog shoes. He's yeah. like me. It's like, let's just get through this a yeah. uh, few weeks. Uh, he, he buys like infant or toddler socks and puts them on and pulls, feet. yeah, a couple layers of them to put on so that they can go out and spend some time out. So well, that might be too far for some people. It is <laughs> for me, maybe. Yeah. You know, if, I if your dog's more. feet are, are being cut or torn, you're, yeah. you're going to have to take care of them. Take you some will, and that will take be a good idea. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, Ben, these temperatures, they, they affect Everybody. I mean, it, it stinks to even have to go check your mail, like to walk yes. to your to walk to Brutal. your end of your driveway to check your mailbox. But there are people that still have to be out there yes. because of their jobs. I I saw uh, it. It wasn't a, a written article. It was a uh, an interview, and it was the boss. He was a, a crew. He was an overseer of a crew of linesmen, and he was just talking about guys. We. <laughs> We still work and we have to still work. Like, think about how important electricity is during these times to make sure that people have the heat on mm-hmm. in their homes. And so these men and women are still out there working, even though it's negative five degrees, even though there is snow and ice. And they, they were talking about some of the things they do, some of the things that the company pays to provide for them to stay warm, uh, certain kind of insulated gloves that uh, that they can use around the electricity, how they have different shifts and they they take breaks more frequently so they can warm up. But he was talking about this is a dangerous job, linesmen. Like they could die really at any moment. Every day is dangerous for them. But once they put all of these clothes on, now they can't move as well. It becomes more dangerous. More things can come in contact with electricity. Once you get cold and you start to lose your dexterity in your hands Mm -hmm. or you're not even thinking right, your arms and legs don't move right when you start to get cold, all of these little aspects of the cold for really essential workers that have to be outdoors, it makes their job way more difficult, yeah. more dangerous, and we forget about them, if I'm being honest, because we're not out there doing it. But it, I think it is important for us to stop and remember these men and women that are that are putting on all of this stuff and still going to work every day so that we can have our comforts. Yeah, and it's a, it's a service for the rest of us, right? I mean... Your house catches fire. Can it happen in the wintertime? Absolutely, because we are trying to stay warm in there, whether it be our fireplace or electric heaters. You know, they're still going to do their best to respond to these calls. We had a couple of days, last, was it last week, that there were some first responders that could not leave. They, they were couldn't. calling for, yep. um, you know, areas that had less ice on the roads to try to respond to these calls. But they're still making their way out. They're still going to work on getting out. And think about a firefighter. You're using water to put out fire in an environment that the water's freezing almost instantly when it hits Did the ground. Did you see that crazy video of that fire truck here in Missouri? Yeah, that well, was that in Missouri. I'm not. It I was in Missouri. Was it in Missouri? I don't I think it was where we are, like locally here. It wasn't a local department, but it was in Missouri. Well, this video is so national. I didn't know. I was thinking it was somewhere else, but um, I did it. They were down in this subdivision. Is this the one? And completely yes. lost. 
Just it's like a sheet of ice down this. this and, road. and and by lost control, you're not talking about this thing was sliding down the hill. This no, truck was spinning. spinning. Yeah. It was spinning down this hill, and really the only damage it took out like a mailbox in the front end of one car, but the the engineer, I mean, he put that thing right into the driveway of the neighbors and, and got it stopped over there and didn't yeah. hurt a person, thank goodness. No. But what a wild scene to see something that big spinning that fast because of ice and, and really and just a much. glaze. You yeah. couldn't even really see the ice. Right. Really a wild video. Uh, just if, if you want to Google, look it up. Just uh, I think if you Google uh, Missouri fire truck ice, it'll be the first thing that comes up. It's a big yellow fire truck spinning <laughs> around in a circle on the road it, it is wild to see and really all essential workers our wives work in the medical field yep. both nurses and i hate it because everything everything is, is calling out school is out daycare is out i mean when we had that ice everything was closed the mm-hmm. electrical ops were closed yeah. uh the universities were closed Bass Pro Shops Corporate was closed, and that never happened. <laughs> so that's when you know it's bad. Uh-huh. Bass Pro Shops Corporate was closed, but the nurses and the doctors, they still have to somehow get to work. They still have to get out there and somehow make it in so that these people in these hospitals can have the care that they need. And right. so really just, if you are an essential worker, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Yes. Uh, for bringing that, that peace and that comfort to us, knowing that you're going to be there and really risking your life. Um, and your well-being for other people. That is servanthood, and yeah. that's a picture of Christ. So thank you so much for that. And if you're not, just kind of have that in, in the forefront of your mind next time. Maybe there are little things you could say. Maybe it is just thanking someone that you know that, that is an essential worker. Yeah, and for those essential workers, for uh, maybe you uh, relying on them, we should still be getting outdoors. There's opportunities to get outdoors. Um, we're not saying when... When the ice is coming down and, and vehicles are sliding off the road, that isn't the best time to go outdoors. That's probably one of the best times to take the advice of what uh, media is <laughs> sharing you. Stay home, yeah. right? Stay home. But in staying home, you can still find 15 minutes to, to go outside, to take your kids outside, to experience what is taking place out there because the animals are having to go through it. And what better way to teach your children uh, about those rough experiences. You can bundle them up and you can go out and spend just a little bit of time out there to still be connected, to learn. Um, and it feels good. I spent an almost an entire day, uh, I think it was it was the weekend. We weren't working. I wasn't planning on coming here um, to the office. I stayed inside almost the entire day and I got to feeling anxious. You know, that's the word I just was anxious. And I was like, I need to go outside. Yeah. And so I bundled up. And when I said I bundled up is I put the appropriate layers on. I didn't need to put so many layers on that I was so restricted that I'm ballooned out walking, you know, and waddling. Like, it was enough layers for nah, you do dress what like was that taking sometimes. place. I do sometimes. <laughs> Especially when I'm sitting still. Which, With your puffy coats. Oh, puffy coats are awesome. I'll talk about those in just a second. But I bundled up, went outside, and I was out there for about 15 minutes. Um, I had to be very careful. Everything was iced over. It was slick. But just like anything in life, I mean, respect it. Like, be cautious, respect it, have an awareness, walk slow. And when I came back in after that, I felt so much better. better, I encouraged my kids to go out with me. They didn't want to. Um, Matter of fact, I ended that evening, my son got a little emotional. And he's like, Dad, I thought we were going to go outside. And I said, son, I asked you if you wanted to go. I wasn't going to make you. It was Bitter, brutal, cold, 
but I asked you if you wanted to go, and you said no. And, I, and he goes, well, Dad, I, I asked later in the day. I said, but, Bubba, it was already dark. Yeah. It was dark when you asked. But his – let me share let me, let me, let me share a little bit more. During these cold, cold months when it is below freezing, your house shrinks. Everything on the outside begins to shrink. And because of that, you get cracks, you get gaps, you get – a shelter that uh, can't fully protect you like it does in the summer months. And so I have to take some steps. I have to safeguard uh, to really try to trap the heat in my home. Um, I don't have the best windows. I, I lose a lot of heat, and you'll you'll feel that when we have those north wind breeze hitting that house. Those north-facing um, windows are, <laughs> are barely doing their job. So I actually take – I'll buy a roll of plastic, and when I know that we're getting ready to get in these conditions, I will completely – um, tape a piece of plastic over my the entirety of my window. I use painter's tape so it doesn't um, impact my paint on my walls. And when I do that, it will actually, once it's completely sealed up, it will push this plastic towards you because of it, it's trapping out, it's keeping that air out. And by doing that, I also will add an insulation layer. Sometimes I'll put a blanket over that uh, to really trap in the heat from the home. But by doing that, it really darkens my home. I don't get to see the sun when it comes out. There's only a few windows that, that I don't do that to so we can still see what's going on out there. But it is something that I have to do through a few weeks, a few months of the year to to, to trap the the heat that I have in my home to, from escaping and keeping that wind, for that cold, cold, bitter air from coming into my home. But it does impact us as a family. It it, it does make us more anxious. We do get a little more emotional because we we can't see yeah. outdoors. Can't and see so the outdoors. if you have to do that, do that. <clears throat> Make sure that you, um, well, are protecting your money. You don't you want to just be throwing it out because you're losing all your heat. But also protecting your family by, by keeping it a, a, a good, warm home. Um, but with all that said, if you're doing that, you are going to have to find time to take your family out just to, to get outdoors for a few minutes to, yeah. to become healthier. Yeah, I want to provide better. a little encouragement for everybody Yeah, about, about going out, taking your kids, going outdoors when it is this cold. It can be a little fearful because w- when you yourself go out, <clears throat> man, any exposed skin, like, yeah, it hurts. I mean, we were talking our, our highs were like one or zero. We yeah. had three or four days in a row that that was our high. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even negative was a high one day. I don't know. Just very, very frigid, and that hurts. And that can be fearful to us. Like, man, I don't want something to happen to my kid, or my kid to get sick, or what's right. the point of going through and even getting them dressed? They're just gonna be out there for five minutes and come back inside. Five minutes is worth it. If it takes fifteen minutes to get ready, the five minutes is worth it to it get is. outdoors. The, yep. the mental health that comes from that, even the physical health, that they all go hand in hand. But what I want to say is that. You can go out dressed the right way mm-hmm. and stay out for longer than 5, 10, or 15 minutes and have fun. We had about, I'm going to call it an inch of snow. I mean, my maybe it was an inch and a half. My grass is cut at three inches, and, and the tips of the grass were still sticking out. It wasn't completely white. But uh, my wife had bought my boys a new sled. You got to use it. Got to use it. Yeah. I mean, this they had to use the sled, and I was excited too. Unfortunately, my youngest got sick, and I wasn't about to take him out being sick. And he, he didn't feel well enough to go out and play anyway. But my oldest was like, Dad, are we going to go outside? And I was like, you know what? We are. We are going to go outside. And I, a few months back in the fall, Amazon 
each year. They have their own brand of snow bibs and things, and they put them up. They're really affordable. Right. I'm talking like twenty dollars right. or less. They're really affordable, um, and each year because they're growing so much, I usually try to buy one year. They can wear them a little big one year, and then wear them just a little snug the next year. I try to get two years out of them, but we order those. But we're prepared, you know, so that I have the snow bibs, I have the boots, I have all that ready because it's so again the roads aren't really safe. So I have to go out during these times and try to get these things. Plus everyone else is doing the same thing, trying to buy them. I try to think two, three months ahead and have them here so we can go out. But if you dress properly, you can go out and have fun, especially if you are moving and active and doing things. It's really going to help keep your body warm and you can be comfortable. My first recommendation for that is to cover everything. I mean, we wear buffs over our faces, literally the only exposed skin that we have is our eyes. Yep. Like we cover the tips of our noses, our eyes is all that we have. And honestly, we were pretty comfortable. The first night that we went out, I, I say night, it was late afternoon before dark. Uh, we went out to go sledding and the fr- the ponds were frozen. So we went out and played on the ponds a little bit. It was five degrees. We stayed out for two hours and I had to make my son come in so that we could go eat supper. Mm-hmm. He was having such a blast. Mm-hmm. He was dressed properly, and we were active and moving. We were both having such a blast. I, right. I, there's, I put some videos up on, on social of, of he and I out there sliding down the slide and making piles of snow at the bottom, sledding down the hill over and over again. My legs were so sore because I kept pulling him on the sled. He You're kept still saying, complaining me, about it like, today. <laughs> my quads were just tore up for right. days and days. It was right. awful, but he had so much fun. So what do you think he wanted to do the next day? Well, we're, let's do it again, Dad. He wanted to do it again. Unfortunately, we were busy all day long. Mm-hmm. And because my other son was sick, I couldn't drag him out. We had to stay in. My wife got home after dark. Dad, you promised. I look out, it was dark. I said, you know what? Let's go. So we went nighttime sledding after dark. And now we had a breeze <laughs> with the zero degree actual temperature. So when we went out, the wind chill was negative 15. Mm-hmm. I checked it while we were out there because it, it was colder. It was night with the wind. Um, and it we got cold in the first five minutes, but we just kept going and stayed active. And eventually, I was actually hot. We were actually hot underneath our, our winter coat and bibs. And we sledded and sledded and sledded for about an hour and a half out there in that negative 15. When we came in, we continued that experience. We sat by the fire. We have hot chocolate and do kind of these things to go with that experience. And it's just all about making memories. But we were safe. One, we knew we could come into our home. We didn't venture off three or four miles into the wilderness where if something happened, we'd be in big trouble. We stayed close to our home. We dressed properly and, and really just enjoyed the moment. Yeah, when I'm spending that much time out there with my kids, I'm also going to be doing some body checks. I'm going to be like, you know, how are your hands feeling? How are your feet feeling? Yeah. And and I want to talk about that right now. Kids are pretty good at letting you know when they hurt, though. They do, but when they want to keep staying out like your son does, you do want to be cautious. Yeah. Uh, they may say they want to push through the push through it. You know, I'm okay, Dad. Uh, but being out two hours in that, uh, if, if it isn't taken care of, it can be detrimental to the to the kid, and so mm-hmm. fifteen minutes, thirty minutes, that's a good that's a good time. I mean, check their feet, check their hands, because it is the extremities at this time of year. Um, our feet. If you look at people that live in the Arctic or the Antarctic, um, they're going to layer up just like you should do here. 
but they take it a step further than, than we have to or what we do because we're not out in those conditions for months and months. They are wearing some of the biggest, largest boots you've ever seen in your entire life. They have liners for these boots um, because your feet are something that you must take care of. They are receiving the less, uh, they're receiving less blood flow, right? Uh, also, they're on the cold conditions, whether it be the ice, the snow, the sleet, or on the ground that's cold. Right. So you have to have that barrier. You have to have really good shoes. And the boots you may be buying for your children, they may be too small when you start adding in two, three, or one big wool sock. You don't want to restrict the blood flow to the feet or to the hands. And so when you are purchasing for your children for the outdoors, you want those boots to be bigger. If they're if they're fitting them with a thin sock in the summertime, like like a rubber boot, and you're putting a thin sock on and it fits, it's probably not going to be good for you during the winter. If it's all you have, then only go out for 10, 15 minutes and come back in and pull the boots off. Yeah. Um, those are the things that you really have to protect are your extremities and making sure that you're buying the correct thing for your children. Would you agree with, though, the, the most important thing in, in footwear for these cold conditions is that they are waterproof, that they keep your feet dry? If if not, what we've had to do um, when I was in charge of camps and we were out playing in this, uh, a lot of the youth that we had, they couldn't afford to buy waterproof anything, mm-hmm. even from Walmart. They, they had zero of it. And so um, wool socks are so important. Having a wool sock, it retains 80% of your body heat if it was soaking wet. So yep. that's awesome. Have a wool sock. Wool is affordable. So many places you can get it now. But you can take a Walmart bag, um, a trash bag, and you're going to place that around that wool sock. So put the wool sock on your foot place a trash bag over that, and then you can place it into your tennis shoe, into your boot, into your rubber, whatever you have, and that's going to create that waterproof barrier for you if you can't afford to purchase waterproof yeah, boots. Yeah, really good tip. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about dressing. You, you've mentioned layering, and we, I think maybe, did we do a whole podcast last year about how to dress in the cold? It's it's out there somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> it was, it's out there once, somewhere. Once but you get into hundreds and hundreds of episodes, it's, it's, it's tough. hard it is. to it remember is, everything you've talked about, but... You make fun of me for my poofy coats. Your poofy coats. My poofy coats. Yeah. Um, you know, let's first talk about the base layer. When it is below freezing, it's important to have a base layer. It isn't just me that makes fun of you either, by the way. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you you feed You're off singling of that. me Keep... out. <laughs> you want to have whatever your very first layer is is going to be your base layer, and the thicker it is. Well, then the warmer you're going to be. There are different thicknesses of base layers. Um, from very, very thin that we wear in the summertime to wick away the moisture to really thick, all the way from synthetics and wools. Um, remember, always try to stay away from cotton when you can. Then from that insulating layer, we get into, or excuse me, that base layer. Now we move into our insulating layer. And that's where the poofy coat comes in. Um, a poofy coat is awesome because... The space that from your body to however thick it is, that will fill with your body heat, and that is going to keep you more warm than anything. Mm-hmm. If you're out in these conditions, though, and the wind is blowing, if all you have is a puffy coat, it's going to steal the heat from that coat. You know, people I'll see, I was watching a Chiefs game, and they were wearing, like, layers and layers and layers and layers. Why that's dangerous is because it restricts the blood flow through your body, right. first off. Second, it it isn't going to be as warm as you think because now that air can't uh, 
build up inside that clothing. Now you've smothered it all and you, you don't have a lot of a, you don't have an insulating layer. You know, now what you're building by adding more and more, let's say you put on five coats, you're not really building up an insulating layer if it's, it's so tight that you're, you know, you're not creating a good insulating layer, but what you are creating then is a wind barrier. Yeah. And so you've lost your insulating, but now you're, now you kind of have a wind barrier. It's better to have a lot of the puffy, uh, to have an insulating layer that's going to catch your warm body heat. And then you want to have your outer layer, which could be a hard shell or a soft shell, to block the wind. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mm-hmm. take multiple, multiple, multiple layers. It takes three or four. And when you buy the correct layering systems, you're, it doesn't restrict your movement. You can still go outside and work and, and take care of business. Uh, you can even play sports. However... If you're going out in the outdoors to set and do nothing, now we got to talk about a few more layers and the thickness of those layers because if we're going to go set in a tree stand when it's negative two, I am going to dress so differently than if you and I were going to go out and do a hike or go out and right. and fix something or rescue someone. You, you probably will have so many layers that it's difficult to move in that case when you're when yes. you're sitting. You never want to sweat. Right. And so you're <laughs> you're going to minimize how many layers you're putting on. Um, when you're planning on going out and running and being active and moving, because if you have uh, too many layers and you begin to truly sweat, that's dangerous for your body. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, Hayes and I were we were playing on the pond and hiking up hills and and sledding, and you were very active and burning a lot of calories. He and I each had on sweatpants, snow bibs. Yep. And then we would do a thin layer of wool socks, mm-hmm. a thick layer of wool socks over them waterproof boots for our uppers we had on a long sleeve t-shirt yep. that was synthetic yep we had on a synthetic hoodie over that and then we put our snow coats puffy coats over yep. the top of those yeah um, you're calling them snow pants and snow coats right because they're not waterproof they're not waterproof and you don't have to have waterproof in the right. snow but the moment that it melts or the moment that it it moves here in the Ozarks will will get snow and it turns to rain yep you know now your snowsuit isn't a snowsuit it's a it's a wet i had a suit <laughs> a bad experience finding out about how snow pants are not waterproof i like, got a video of you I, i'm gonna have to put that up i we're think gonna you put have a video of my yeah. face the moment i found out that the pants i were wearing were not waterproof yeah but they were they were snow pants and yeah and they were great for snow great really for, snow, for snow terrible for water yeah and and because what snow pants are is they are an insulating layer and because we're using synthetics today or we'll just call them like plastic there is a little bit of a wind barrier there, but when you're getting your your 12 to up to 20 mile per hour winds out of the north and they're they're hitting you, you need a bar- better barrier block. Right. And that's why we teach trash bags because it's affordable. People can carry them with them. But think through like if you're buying a coat, if it isn't thick like a trash bag and it's not going to block rain, then it's probably not going to block the wind. Um, Clothing question for you. Oh shoot! When it comes to base layers. Are you a skin-tight base layer kind of guy or a loose-fitting base layer kind of guy? Mm, that's good. I am, in the summertime, I, I wear base layers all year round. So people like, Ben, you wear two T-shirts? I absolutely always wear two T-shirts every single day. Every single day. Even in the summertime, I wear a synthetic, a very thin synthetic um, base layer you in the summer. you got about as much brains as that squirrel over there. Oh, he's my pal. Old Red. Old Red. You guys um, see Old Red? This is this is Old Red's first episode today. Yeah. We yeah. we for for our listeners that are on YouTube, we have a a stuffed red squirrel that has joined the studio. 
He's our pal. He's been with me through the thick and thin. Um, <laughs> and he's taught me how to how to better prepare for when I go in the outdoors. He's dressed you know, well. He is very he is he's prepared. He's got the perfect insulation for his body. Um but in in seriousness of, of dressing, you know, it is important to protect your skin even in the summer months. And so I will wear a loose layer, which is the base layer. It's it's sometimes um, it's not an insulating layer. They have different types of synthetics that will be more holy and open to breathe, but I'm still protecting myself. In the winter months, I move into something a little more tight. Um, it's a little more uh, thicker, uh, so it's going to be more of an insulation there for me um, as a base layer. And then in the winter months, because I'm wearing a thicker base layer, then I don't need as much as much insulation. I don't need the, the, right. the puffy because I'm usually going to wear an outer coat that's going to completely block the wind and by when you block the wind i don't need as much in as much insulation if i'm going to go out and play in snow then i don't always put on a hard shell because that insulating the thick puffy coat is going to do me just fine right you know when i went hunting uh this year with my son uh we were in the redneck hunting blind uh, we're not sponsored by them, but I'll give them a shout out because it kept me warm and it kept me warm because it was blocking the wind, but I still wore my big, huge, puffy coat. And when I put that thing on, it was perfect. I had my insulating layer and my actual shelter was my my outer layer yeah. and it was perfect. And I was comfortable all through the winter months. A couple more kind of, I'll call them clothing questions. They're not exactly yeah. clothing, but the first one is, the Chiefs and the Bills had a football game this last weekend. Yes. And New York. Yes. And you kept seeing, I don't know if it was the Bills organization or. I think the Chiefs the, players were posting some of this too. They were recommending to the fans mm-hmm. that they bring cardboard to the stadium to put under their feet to stand on during the game. Is there, what what's the idea behind this? Should this be something that people should implement in these cold temperatures or? Yeah, when I heard the story, it was like they were allowing, like they, I guess there's things you can't take into the stadium. Yeah, you get were, to bring cardboard. They were get to Woo-hoo! bring this stuff in, yeah. I was confused, but thinking through it, you know, most people that are going to be attending that game are probably wearing, uh, I'll just shoot a brand out there, Hey Dudes. Right. Well, I'm here to tell you that I'm not going to wear Hey Dudes out of my house in the winter months. You think a lot of people in New York wear Hey Dudes? Um, flats, uh, <laughs> loafers, penny loafers. Uh, if you're not wearing a boot, something that has a thick sole, yeah. something that has insulation in it, or has a wind barrier or water barrier that you're putting your foot in with a wool sock. If you're not wearing that, then of course you're going to have to take a barrier from the concrete or from the snow you're standing in. So, like when they were saying so this, there is something there to, to get to get a barrier between the, the ground and, and your foot. It could help Absolutely. you stay warm. Yeah, that's why if you wore uh, a thick-soled boot, you don't need to take a piece of cardboard to stand on. Your thick soles are your cardboard, and your wool sock is your insulating layer. Yep. Um, because you're standing the whole time, um, I think it's it would be wise to, to, bow, um, to bow once in a while, to sit down and stand up. You want to make sure that your blood... Um, is moving the warm blood's moving throughout the entirety of your body. When you stand up the entire time, you'll you'll have some restriction in that for sure. But you know the people that went to those games, um, we didn't hear anyone die. 
they, maybe maybe uh, someone did because of it, but you think you would hear that on the news. But it sounds like most people dressed appropriately. But you got to think you're going and really you're you're standing in a spot the entire time, kind of like hunting. And you know, so, if if they really cared about the people and keeping them warm, they'd quit serving alcohol at the games. That's good too. But yeah, they're, they're not gonna. No, they're not gonna no. cut into their budget that much. They're not gonna no. cut in the revenue that much. But alcohol. A total misconception that it helps you stay warm. It actually right. limits your ability, your body's ability to thermoregulate. You cannot, it, you scientifically cannot be as warm when alcohol is in your body. So don't drink during cold. Well, um, <laughs> matter of fact, not. Uh, I was seeing images of, of beer cans that they were exploding, exploding yeah. and, and frozen, you know, yeah. so it was probably keeping people from drinking a little bit. But, yeah, maybe that's um, good. You know, I think what I want people to walk away here with, though, is is um, layering is important and you don't want to sweat. So if you plan on going out in the outdoors to sled or to hike or to do those fun things with your kid, then you don't want to have restriction from your legs or your arms. You want to be able to move. So it is important to have insulating layers, um, not too many layers that don't, you know, that you're not being restricted. Yeah. And if you are going to go out. You can still be comfortable if you do it the right way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Even in the cold. I mean, yeah. And if you are going to go out to just set and bird watch or do these things with the family, then make sure that you have a barrier between you and the ground. Um, Sometimes that is just your shoes or a blanket or a tarp with a blanket on it. You know, you want to have a barrier. And then um, your barrier is just like your clothing on your body. You're going to have a wind or water barrier that you're putting out first like a tarp. And then you're going to put an insulating layer like a blanket. And then you're going to be on top of that and let your body heat do what it's designed to do. Um, but if you put on too much, too many clothing, too many barriers like that, and you're going to go out and do a lot of movement, you're not going to be comfortable. You're going to sweat and you're going to get cold really, really quick. And you need yeah. to go in. You need to get indoors. Yeah. All right. Last question here uh, on the how does it affect people all the time. I get, Probably because the logarithm for social media has us in the outdoors and nature. So every time I get on there, I see, um, I don't even actually know their, his real name, uh, outdoor boys. Oh, the, yeah. Like the father that started yeah. taking his kids out. I don't hardly ever see him with his kids no, anymore. It's just, it's just him almost now. always him, but yeah. Yeah. he is always like his niche is that it's been going to these extreme cold, uh, I think usually Alaska. I have seen some Alaska and episodes. Yeah. He builds, yeah tunnels down inside six eight foot deep snow yeah he makes shelters where um we'll call it like a teepee where he he has something over his head but he uses the snow um as the the barrier the wind barrier at at the bottom of it and there's no floor it's a it's a tubless you know it's just a tarp over his head he he's had some episodes on that which are really neat to watch so my question is when it is that cold, so say it's negative five degrees, actual temperature, negative five degrees Fahrenheit, you go out, there's no snow, or you go out in conditions like he's in where there's snow, is your survival mindset different? Are there tactics that are different, or can we really implement some of the same things? When you and I are teaching the kids shelter building, um, I try to I try to keep it simple so that they remember this for no matter what the the climate is or the right. tundra or the situation or the elements or the habitat. Um, you have to protect your body from the wind and wetness and being wet. And I don't talk a whole lot about cold, 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 and I don't talk a whole lot about hot, hot, hot. Um, because if you're still protecting yourself from the wind and from the wetness, uh, your body can 
as you call it, thermoregulate. And so when you have conditions like snow, I'm not super scared of the snow. It is an insulating property. Like several inches of snow becomes an insulating barrier for you as long as your body heat isn't melting it. You know, and if it starts melting it, well, now what's starting to happen is you're getting wet. So now we have to guard against wet and against the wind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, example, if I had three feet of snow, I'm going to dig down until I hit the ground. I'm going to, but once I've done that, now I need a barrier still between me and that ground. And the snow walls are going to insulate me and protect me from the wind. And so... You know, that's perfect versus if you're on top of the mountain and the wind's ripping through you and you can't get out of that and you're panicked and you're starting to to try to get down and now you're sweating. Those situations are so dangerous. Um, so winter winter camping, winter hiking is awesome in the snow um, and and is, is safe. So is, would you rather go out, it's negative five out, would you rather go out with a foot of snow or dry ground? If I'm going out to to set and cook and hang out, you're gonna camp for a, a, a night or two. Yeah. Well, then then I would rather uh, I'd rather have snow. Okay. If we are trying to get from point A to point B and I'm navigating that and I'm on a hike through it, no snow. <laughs> <laughs> so those conditions are tough because yeah. it, you think about as humans, um, the Native Americans, they would move. In the areas where there's less snow, they, right, they're not, yeah, they're yeah. gonna they're gonna migrate with the animals. They're gonna try to move and stay with them. But once it snows, people hunker down. Mm-hmm. You hunker down because all animals, all humans, at some point have to fast, and we we do a little bit of fasting, and that's actually healthy for us. You know, we think we have to have food every single day, but in those moments, it is okay to hunker down and and sleep, eat. Mm-hmm set by the fire for hours and hours and hours, those things are healthy and I think good for us. So you know, for me, yeah, for me personally, um, I would rather go out with uh, two or three inches of snow, hike, play, hang out. Camp. I'd say two or three inches. <laughs> I said a foot. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you what I'd rather have. But a foot. Um, it's just so beautiful out there. that Like you yeah. get that, I'll say three to six range. Like it's still navigable. You can walk. Well, you talked it's about so deer beautiful. earlier. And if you're having several feet of snow – Deer um, have long, slender, bony legs. Right. They can't walk in snow very well. No. You know, uh, a snowshoe hare, a rabbit, their feet are so big and spread out that they can stay on top of the snow, and that's what we have to recreate. We, If I'm going to be in that, I'm going to have to create or purchase um, a way to be able to walk around on top of that snow. Get you some snowshoes. Get you some snowshoes, baby. Well, the last group of, of people or, or animals, I guess it's actually people and animals, that yeah. I really want to talk about that, I think we should be thinking of and honestly just really thankful for during these winter chills. These just honestly times it really just feels like you're surviving. Like I just got to get through these this deep freeze. Um, and I've been here. I, I used to be out and, and farming every day. But that is farmers in, in, in domesticated or, or, or livestock animals. You kind of touched on on pets, you know, dogs and cats. But I want to talk about farmers. It is so difficult for them. If, if if you have livestock or have ever had livestock, you know. Ben, ben talked about busting ponds. It's every day. It's every day. And I have been out so thick you can't bust it. 
Oh, I guess I have to go get the tractor out just to get this pond open. Keeping water open for your animals is so difficult. Horses do a pretty good job of, they do better at keeping water holes open yeah. on ponds. But man, I've, I've taken care of bison and cattle and deer um, and, and they're awful at it. Like you have to do it, do it for them, especially they, they don't have the freedom because you have them in a fence. They don't have the freedom to go out and find an open water source. You know, I've taken care, I've raised uh, fence pin, pin deer and I've, I've raised deer that had access to square mile after square mile after square mile. And yeah, I don't have to provide water for wild deer. They can go, they can go find it. But a deer that's in a pen, they have to have water. They don't have that freedom to go find it. Correct. And and you have to keep it open. And it is a chore. Now I just have chickens right now. It's the only livestock that I have. And it's a chore for them. I keep mm-hmm. saying to my wife, I got to get a heated water because I'm so tired of busting ice out of this water or right. having to remember to bring the water into the garage. To, But it was so cold, I, I had the water in the garage and it fo- froze solid in the garage. Right. Yep. Um, it, it, it is really difficult for those animals. But even on top of that, they need more food. They need more calories. And so they aren't, I'm thinking of cattle in particular, they aren't out grazing all the grass. It's probably covered. So all the supplemental feed, the hay and the grain, that is more work for farmers. They have to put that out every day. They have to have stocked it up over the winter. It can get really expensive the longer that these freezes last. And so when we have winters like this, when you see meat prices in the spring go up, this is why. It isn't people trying to gouge you, but they had to spend more to produce it. And whether you are in New York City or you're out on a ranch in Texas, somebody is producing that food that you are buying at the grocery store, and somebody had to endure a really miserable cold winter to produce it. Yeah, they do. And I don't want to take it lightly. I know we talked about being out in the snow and going out. I want to share, though, that um, make for sure that you are protecting yourself. I mean, don't go out in the conditions if you don't feel safe. Don't go out in the conditions if you don't know how to do it. And for those that are having to go out to take care of their livestock. I was going to say, you're, you're are, making my point even more like how much we should care for these people. Farmers correct. have to go out. They, they don't have, have a choice. Right. They and, are going out there. You know, a lot of farmers are going to wear like what we call Carhartt clothing. You know, all that stuff, the majority of your Carhartt clothing are insulating. It's, it's an insulating layer. Um, but they're going out in their, their farm trucks. They're going out in their side-by-sides and, and maybe sometimes on the four-wheelers. And those vehicles are their wind barriers. They're, they're the wind and, and weather, uh, the, the wet you know barriers. But the moment they have to step outside of that, I want to encourage any of them to, to think through, like maybe grab a raincoat even when it ain't raining because you will be so much more comfortable when you have to be out there when you're blocking that wind, when that wind is not stealing your body heat. But also, if you're going out in these conditions, wear bright colors. You know, if something does happen, if you're wearing the the duck colored, the grays, the coyote colors, the you know, uh, it is a lot more difficult to find people in rescue situations when they're when they look like the environment. So right. if you do have to go out, um, wear those brighter colors so that people can see you. You know, you're asking earlier if I would rather prefer to be snow or not snow. Yep. That is so situational because if I need to be found. I want, <laughs> I want to be able to freely move, and snow is going to restrict you in that. You know, for, uh, below freezing is going to restrict what you can do for food, fire, shelter, water. And so, when you're going out to take care of your livestock, still be thinking through. I need 
to protect my body, and I may still need to be found. So wear the brighter colors, wear those extra um, jackets and, and stocking caps and gloves, even when you're going out to check your horses and cows. I can remember one winter. It was 15 degrees. I remember the temperature several years ago. It was 15, and I was, uh, at the time, I was taking care of, of bison, elk, and a pretty pretty large uh, a herd of horses. And where I had to go feed these horses at was about five miles from the barn. That ain't that far away, though. I had an open cab you tractor. Know? Open cab tractor, <laughs> 15 degrees. Uh-huh. And, of course, I've got her wide open rolling about 15 miles an hour, just trying to get this done as fast as I can, so bumping along. But I can remember um, there, were, there were so many horses. I think, I forget, I think I had to put eight rounds out, eight round bales of hay out, and I could only take two at a time and it was about a mile between the pasture where they were and where the hay barn was Mm -hmm. so I was having to go back and forth and I can remember about this that after about my second drop of hay my fingers were so cold I was like I can't even drive this tractor okay but let's pause my knees you were setting still I was setting still you're moving I had but your physical energy you are setting still you do have to dress differently and I just had this thought like I would do some probably not so good things right now for a tractor with <laughs> for a cabin work. heater on it. And as I did that, I looked up and I saw that exhaust stack on that tractor and I thought, boy, I bet that sucker's hot. And I stopped the tractor and I took my hands with my gloves on it and I just put them up there on it. <laughs> I felt that heat come through and it felt so good. And then the smoke started and I thought, oh, shoot, that's really, really hot. And I pulled it off in my glove. <laughs> I melted my gloves. That wasn't smart. I melted my gloves. <laughs> so then I learned. I mm. utilized this trick. From then on, I always just lightly put my hands on it or really, really close to it. And then as soon as I felt the warmth, I would put it on the backside. And then I would rotate that back and forth, and I'd get my hands warm, and then I was able to drive again. I say that as just a, a real-life story and experience, but people – who do go outdoors when it is extreme cold are resourceful. They do yeah, they find are. ways to get by. Yeah. They find ways to get by as do our wildlife. And I want to encourage everybody, don't let those temperatures, if you are an outdoors person, don't let them keep you from going outdoors. Find the clothing, plan ahead, and, and take your family outdoors. Or maybe you're just been and you needed to take five minutes. Yeah to go out there until you were cold and then yep. go back inside. But right. it is dangerous once you start venturing off into the wilderness and make sure if you're doing that, that you have the skills to stay alive. Yeah. And even traveling on our highways, um, you know, it is this time of year when people do slide off um, yeah. and people don't know about it. Yeah. yeah. And you can, you can go back, uh, it's probably a month or two ago, I'm going to say six, seven, eight episodes ago, uh, we, we did a, a, an episode about uh, preparing our cars mm-hmm. for these times, what should be in our cars uh, right. for survival, kind of in-car, vehicle survival kit, I think we called it. But uh, if you're looking for some guidance on that, if Please. not, blanket, water, have the essentials in there, and you'll be good. Anything you want to add before we wrap it up? You know, I just hope that uh, people listening decipher when when it is okay to go out and when it isn't. You know, there was a, a lot of warnings telling people literally stay home and we're not asking you uh, at those times to go out and explore and be adventurous. Those yeah. are times to... I'm talking more about your backyard. Correct. Your backyard, yes. your front yard. G- Don't yes. get in your car when it isn't Correct. safe and, and try to go out to the to the nature park. Correct. 
And that's just what I want to add there. And, and just maybe even as a recap, you know, um, during this time of year when it is below freezing, but sub for, I mean, bitter, bitter, bitter cold, you know, be thinking about the wildlife. How can you help them out? Whether you've put up birdhouses or you've got bird feeders out and, and you put the food in before yeah. that, that storm came. Um, thinking about your animals, your domesticated animals. Um, if you have animals that are outside in cages or, um, you know, on a leash, um, it is time to bring them in and protect them because they can't run away and go to where right. they, they need to to get warm. Uh, if you're a farmer, uh, you have your livestock cattle. Even though it's brutal, I know most of you are going to hate this, you still got to go out and bust yeah. ice every day. And, it's and thank you for it. And thank you and for thank it. You do, for do it. know that we appreciate that. And for those that are staying indoors, uh, find 15 minutes to take your kids out, to take your family out and go out um, just in your backyard, front yard uh, to enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, I don't think you'll regret it. I think it's worth it. Make an event of it. Get the hot cocoa ready when you come back inside. Uh, make an event. Make some memories with the people that you love, even though it's cold outside. Uh, you know, we do have a YouTube channel now. We've had several new subscribers, so I'm thankful for all of those. Uh, we're trying to put out some, some snippets of each episode, so if you want to follow throughout the week, kind of try to dig through and find some of the highlights. If you want to comment on those, again, negative or positive, we, we just appreciate the feedback. Thank you to everyone who has been listening over the years. Whatever platform you listen on, we appreciate when you leave us a review. It helps us so, so much. Share with a friend. If, if, if you think of somebody when you listen to one of our episodes, go ahead and share it with them so, so that we can gain a new listener. That is super helpful to us. We are going to be back next week with a brand new episode. We'll put it up on YouTube. We'll put it up on all the platforms that we've been coming out on. If you are a YouTube watcher, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so every Thursday when the new episode comes out, you get an alert and you can check it out and have it ready for the weekend when you've got a little downtime to catch it. Again, that's it for this episode of Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back with a brand new episode next week. Between now and that time, we hope that you remember you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.